In this episode of Give First, we have many, many lessons to come from Sean Grundy, who is the founder of Bevy, a company you may have run into in the wild that allows you to have water your way. It's an amazing product. Uh, Sean talks a lot about going through the pandemic and having it really massively impact his business. Talks about really prioritizing and protecting customer relationships, redefining what success means in periods of tough times. It's relevant to a lot of people that are going to be listening. I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, we get into the values of the company, sticking to the plan, a lot of lessons for hardware companies that are listening, but it's applicable to everyone who's building a startup. You will go through tough times, and Sean talks about navigating them. Coming up right now on Give First. Hi, everyone. This is David Cohen, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Brad Feld. Hey, Brad. And this is the Give First podcast. And in the startup world, Give First means simply trying to help anyone, especially entrepreneurs, without any expectation of getting anything back. So we'll be talking to mentors and founders about what Give First looks like in action and how it makes great entrepreneurship possible. We polled everyone and they said consistently that their favorite part of the show was the legal mumbo jumbo. So here it is. The following discussion is an expression of personal opinion and does not represent the opinion of Techstars or any company we discuss. Our conversations for informational purposes only, including any mention of securities or funds. This is not legal business investment or tax advice and is not intended for use by any investor. Certain of Techstars funds own or may own in the future securities in some of the companies discussed in this podcast. Got it? Sean, thanks for joining us on the Give First podcast. Thank you for having me. I love nothing more than when I'm out in the world uh, visiting you know, another company or in somebody's office, and I see a product created by a Techstars portfolio company, and Bevy is one of my favorites. Shh, don't tell anyone listening. If, if you're listening, it's one of my favorites, but it is. And Sean, um, I want you to start by talking about what Bevy is and how you came up with the idea, if you would. Yeah, and thank thank you for being not just a supporter today, but a supporter for the last ten years, more or less. Um, Bevy is a beverage company and a technology company. We make smart water coolers that purify tap water and then offer a variety of beverages on demand, from flavored water to sparkling water to vitamin infused drinks. Our machines are internet connected, um, so that we know when to replace all of the ingredients in the machines, whether concentrate for flavored water or a new filter or CO2 for sparkling water. And um, we're at our core a mission-driven company. The whole concept of Bevy from when we got started in late 2013 was to take drinks that people would otherwise get in single-use uh, plastic bottles, single-use aluminum cans, and cut out all of the packaging waste by offering really high-quality products without the packaging. Yeah, because in, in general, I don't think the beverage industry has traditionally been known as a super sustainable or <laughs> climate-friendly uh, industry. And, and that's, you know, I, I would admit at home, I, I love to drink sparkling water, right? And And it's not as good when you try to make it yourself, I think. Uh, so you end up buying these aluminum cans and there's a lot of waste and it's sort of like, ah, that doesn't feel great. And that's one of the things I love about Bevy as a consumer when I, you know, can use my own cup or my own water bottle and get, you know, flavored, really well done, you know, carbonated drink or just a flavored, you know, uh, flat water. 
And uh, many people have used, you know, uh, the Coke machines in the movie theater, right? That are sophisticated. And Bevy is a pretty cool, but very easy to use piece of technology that really gives you some interesting, you know, flavors and options. So uh, you talked about it being mission driven. How, how, you know, at scale, how is Bevy hoping to impact, you know, that challenge? Sure. So, so the perception of the beverage industry as environmentally wasteful turns out to be very well deserved. Um, half of the top 10 plastic polluters globally, like across all industries are beverage companies and number yeah. one and number two on the list are, are Coke and Pepsi. Um, so, so, so these companies produce massive amounts of plastic waste and beyond all the plastic, there's a huge amount of fuel that gets used trucking beverages from bottling plants to wherever they're ultimately consumed. And the crazy thing about it is that most of the popular beverages people drink are, are based on filtered tap water. But instead of coming from the tap right around us and like letting water pressure uh, as efficiently as possible, transport the water to us, um, these companies filter tap water in bottling plants and then put them in single-use packaged bottles, and then ship those, you know, ship those all over the country. So, so it, so it's extremely wasteful. Um, Bevy got its start re really with that, just purely with that idea in mind of replacing single-use bottles everywhere. But given how huge the market is, and that people are drinking water in nearly every type of location, we had to focus. And we started by focusing on corporate offices and then subsequently on hotels, gyms, and um, communal areas of, of apartment buildings, basically like high volume commercial areas where one sure. machine could have a lot of impact. So, so we started off focusing there. To date, we've saved over 350 million bottles and cans based on our, that's based on our like IoT tracking of how many beverages we've dispensed. Which feels like a lot, but unfortunately, given the volumes we're talking about, we're still just scratching the surface. I think a drop in the bucket's a probably a better analogy. Just <laughs> you know, for the, yeah, you can steal that one, no charge. Uh, Techstars adding value uh, to future interviews. One of my favorite shows is uh, it used to be the show called Bullshit um, with Penn and Teller, and they did this amazing show about bottled water and how you know, the, the sort of, uh, you know, Fuji or Fiji water, right. You know, bottled water, right. Is, is more than likely from your local water tower, right. And just processed. Um, so it, it is, you know, interesting how much waste there is and love what you're doing about that. Help, help people, Sean, understand, you know, beyond just the, uh, you know, savings of, of one-time use plastics and things like that, the, the size and shape of Bevy, you've raised a bunch of capital, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how big the company is and, you know, how many installations are out there? Yeah. So, so we never publicly reveal either revenue or the number of specific machines. And the, the reason why is uh, it, it's, it's really just for reasons of competitive Intel, but we do reveal the number of unique customers we have. So I can share that. And we have over 5,000 unique customers many of whom just have one machine, but others, others of which have hundreds of machines. Um, most of those customers are corporations and have bevy machines in their, in their offices. A lot of others are hotel chains, um, 
actually like factories and warehouses where we found that our like electrolyte drinks and and uh, vitamin infused drinks are extremely popular for like workers in the distribution center or workers on a production line, um, hospital cafeterias, schools. So really a, a diversity of locations. And and right now where we operate throughout the U.S. and Canada, both directly and via a network of distributors. Got it. And I, I, I'll I'll just say that um, the company is, has uh, some heft to it. It's a it's a pretty large company at this point, and uh, you're ten years into the journey. Uh, I've read reports, you know, over 100 million, maybe 150 million raised in capital. I, I'm, I'm not yeah, going to ask you to verify it. 160, yeah, 160. About- so you, you're well capitalized. So it sounds like Sean, this was just a straight line journey to success. No bumps in the road. Uh, super, super smooth and easy, right? I mean, the pandemic, things like that, probably had no impact on you. Am I, am I right about that? Yeah, I was walking the park. Um, What's the yeah. real story? I know that's not true. What's the real story? Yeah, it was. The pandemic was brutal. Honestly, it was it was it was really really difficult for us. We were absolutely in the eye of the storm, um, and it really felt like running into a wall. Where from from when we started prototyping in 2014, when when we were in TechStars in in early 2014, to I'd say Q1 of 2020, we were in pretty much a straight up hyper growth um, period. And that was stressful too. Like that was, that was definitely not easy because it came with like recruiting challenges and scaling challenges and production challenges and just like all, all these normal startup issues and, and the need to continue raising capital and continue proving ourselves. So it, it was, a cha- I'd say 2015 to early 2020 were challenging, but kind of challenging and fun because um, it was like all about how fast could we grow. Um, when COVID hit in March 2020, it was it, it was a nightmare. Like we really went from the first week of March talking about like we had a board meeting the first week of March, and all we talked about was sales targets, which were ambitious to double year over year, and rec- and all and the need to like really ramp up our speed of recruiting. And then we briefly mentioned COVID. We briefly mentioned like, hey, this is starting to appear in the U.S. Like we may need to be prepared to kind of pause our plan for a month or two. Well, it could be a thing. Yeah, could could be a thing. Um, Totally. Two weeks later, we were having a meeting planning layoffs and like drastic cost cutting. And we ended up cutting the team in spring of 2020 from about 150 people to about 75 people. And drastically cutting all other areas of budget too. Like marketing spend literally went to zero. Um, we, we, uh, we weren't in quite amoeba mode, but we were in um, very much like minimal spending, be, like watch every dollar and, and, be, and be really thoughtful about like where we wanted to spend and where we were willing to sacrifice. Um, we, we went into that mode and it, it was honestly... It was all very, it was all very challenging. So during that time, just so people understand what happens uh, for you, I, I assume that uh, new orders were being delayed because people were like not in the office or, you know, people weren't traveling. So they're not, not as many people using hotels, whatnot. So you have delays there, but also for your existing customers, they're no longer consuming the consumables, right? So basically, I mean, did it effectively just drop you to zero or 
Um, so, so uh, I, I, I guess to take to take away the drama, um, but well, well, to, to 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 like ruin the dramatic moment, we um we ended up not having a down year ever in terms of revenue. And that that's something I'm like very proud of. We slightly grew revenue in both 2020 and in 2021. But what that masks is actually like a really significant month to month decline from March 2020 to about February 2021. And then a really significant um, upswing starting in starting in the spring of 2021. And what actually happened was when COVID hit, pretty much all our customers um, shut down their offices. Our business model works in two ways. We get lease revenue from machines installed in the field, and we get concentrate revenue from usage, for, from usage of flavored or, or enhanced water. Our concentrate revenue dropped, I want to say, to like 9% of of previous levels. And the only sites keeping us going were like a handful of essential industries that stayed open, like biotech, pharma, um, healthcare, basically. Everything else was gone. So so there there was a significant revenue hit. Our sales pipeline evaporated. Um, We we, um, very quickly realized we would have to do cost cutting and layoffs. that turned out to be, I'd say, surprisingly difficult because like we, we went out and we sought advice on like how to do layoffs, like how to and, and other entrepreneurs who had been through that did share advice. Like they did share guidance on like, here's how to um, message it. Here's how to like explain your cash position to employees and like basically like open up and let people know transparently why it's necessary r- rather than a choice. Um, so, so we did get advice on how to do it. But what I was really, what I never really found detailed advice on that might be helpful to people was like a framework for thinking about how deep to cut. And it's very, it's interesting because everyone I talked to said cut once and cut deep. Like, Like that I think is very common advice, but but what was deep? That was like the hard part to figure out. Like how deep was deep enough? How deep would be too deep? Um, and in a time when everything was changing and we didn't know how long the situation would last, that was very difficult to think about. And even to come up with a framework for like for deciding like what is an appropriate amount to cut, like especially for a company that's not profitable and where cutting to profitability might be either either like unachievable or just would kind of kill the business. Um, that, that was a really difficult situation. I think it's super applicable to today, whether it's, you know, pandemic, uh, which hopefully isn't affecting people as much or, you know, just the economic turn, the capital in the VC market, um, banks collapsing, right? There, you, you, it's always a question, how deep do you cut? And the you're right, you hear a lot, uh, cut cut once, cut deep, but it's, you know, um, don't cut bone, right? Yeah, um, exactly. Don't cut muscle, cut fat, right? Start there. That's a helpful analogy, but it doesn't really tell you the answer. And so are you saying that, you know, it's okay, you can you can sort of, when it's really uncertain how long it's going to last, make some moves, you can always make more moves, but that, that hurts morale when you do that, right? So how do you sort of balance all that? Yeah, we, we ended up cutting twice, which I really regretted. And, and it, it really did have, I'd say the second one, 
caused a lot more morale harm than the first. Um, cause the first everyone kind of got, cause COVID had just happened. The, the, um, enhanced employment, unemployment benefits had been rolled out. So people were a little bit less worried uh, about it than the second time. Um, and what I realized is there wasn't necessarily a clear framework for how to think about it. And what, what, what we learned by the second time was to, was to, to actually make a decision about, okay, like what is the planned but basically like what what is our runway goal like is the the first time we were we we i think just kind of quickly reacted like we did our cuts in in that march the second time what was that june and by that time i'd say we had a clearer picture of what revenue um a clearer picture of like what revenue actually would look like moving forward based on what percent of customers were likely to retain our product what percent of the market was likely to still be available? What was our realistic forecast of when we could sell again? And I think re in retrospect, it would have helped from the beginning to have some kind of framework of like, hey, is the goal here to extend runway to a certain date? Is the goal alternatively to um, cut immediately to profitability? Is the goal to continue doing um, product development, which we, we continued doing the whole time? Um, like, I think a clarification of goals and maybe just a framework for some of the options available would, would be really helpful to people. Would have been helpful. I, love, I, I love the idea of getting to a point in time, right? Um, hunkering down and saying, we want to be okay on runway for two and a half years or whatever mm -hmm. the answer mm -hmm. is. Um, really relevant to this moment in time when we're talking, you know, uh, April of 23, where you've got sort of not as much capital available to people, um, you know, in every stage, really, uh, valuations may be heading the wrong way for people. And really what you want to do is sort of survive, right, uh, these moments and be stronger coming out on the other end. So it sounds like that's what you did. I think um, you you got some help from the community. There was a lot of people sort of uh, giving first and trying to help. How did, how did that end for you? How did you come out of that little dip and regain the footing? Yeah, they, I would say the startup community helped us a lot here. Um, we talked to a lot of people, like before doing our layoffs, we talked to a lot of people that had had to do them before for all sorts of reasons, whether running out of capital, whether kind of like what happened with COVID where a change in the market made the sale a lot harder or or impossible. Um, we, we, we got a lot of advice on both how to plan and... Um, and how to communicate. Um, overall, overall, like what what made me feel a lot better was seeing that within a few months of our layoffs, nearly everyone um, landed on their feet, and we actually kept our, our. We had a full time recruiter at that time, and we kept our recruiter for an extra three months just to. And she, and she agreed to stay for that three month period just to help place people who had been laid off. So that, that was, that was also, um, it cost us a little extra in terms of like maybe sacrificing some runway, but I think in terms of like just treating people right and, and, um, taking care of the morale of the existing team that, that was quite helpful. Um, in terms of like what actually happened, 
So we decided not to apply the layoffs evenly across teams. We very heavily cut in sales and marketing and operations and kept engineering whole. And the idea here was we believe engineering is like the long-term source of the company's value. And we wanted to keep developing in that time frame. Another somewhat crazy decision we made in the period was we didn't shift focus to consumer. We actually kept, and, and, and that seemed, I'd say like the conventional wisdom at the time was like, hey, the office market's dead. Your core market's <laughs> not coming back. Shift focus to some market that's available now. But what we realized is like the whole team that we would assemble would be different if we were going after a consumer market versus after commercial. And we also realized like we were big enough at that stage that we already had thousands of clients at that stage. If the office market never recovered, the company would never really bounce back anyway. So we figured like better to double down. Like if the office market never recovers, we're already in trouble, no matter how good our consumer product is. But if the office market does recover and we keep developing better and better products for offices in this COVID period, we'll definitely be first in the market because no one else would be crazy enough to spend the COVID years designing products for offices. So um, so, so we, we thought that not hedging there, it was a bet, but it ended up being a valuable bet. Um, what, what basically happened is that surprisingly few of our clients left us. What we found is that as long as customers kept their offices, they kept Bevy. It, if they got rid of their offices, then, then you know, Bevy would go as part of that. But for the most part, if they were keeping their buildings the same way they like kept their refrigerator installed, they kept their Bevy installed. We decided to prioritize long-term relationships over um, long-term customer relationships over short-term cash, which wasn't easy to do in a period when we were in a cash crunch. But we, we basically decided, hey, if a customer needs a discount, if, if they can't pay us at all, that's fine. Like as long as they're willing to keep their machine installed, we'll work with them and and uh, not worry about the lease payments. So that was that that ended up being um, very helpful because we wanted to make sure that whenever they did reopen their offices, they still liked us and still wanted to keep our product and thought of us favorably. And then th then um, what what we started seeing over time was there were actually these gradual increases in machine usage. That was the key metric we were tracking. Like every single week we would look at, okay, how many bottles per day are being dispensed and how does that compare to pre-COVID levels? And I mentioned that it had dropped to like 9% of pre-COVID usage levels. We started gradually seeing that increase to like 10%, 11%, 12% throughout 2020. And then in 2021, it started, it started, um, or I'd say that trend continued. And as it continued, we began to then gradually rehire and look at, okay, what pockets of industries or what pockets of the country, it was a cool, cool way to use IOT data too. Like what pockets of industry or the country are actually open for business? Let's yeah. prioritize selling to those. And we experienced this very gradual recovery. I'd say the whole time we were always hoping for like a step function. We were always hoping for like, okay, after Labor Day, everybody's coming back. Or like after New Year's, everybody's coming back. That never happened. What we instead saw was like a very, very gradual recovery starting in mid-2020 that lasted kind of until now. And um, 
luckily, luckily for us, um, the trend became, I'd say very clear, even though it was slow, it was, it was, um, very clearly like trending positive for us. And we ended up having a strong 2021 seeing from about early 2021 to early 2022, uh, nearly a hundred percent growth, um, as concentrate usage came back and like, like people, uh, people people started ordering machines again. And then we were able to raise a, a $70 million Series D in um, July of last year, which really positioned us to now just get back to true uh, true fast growth and like on more aggressive product development and just, uh, just being more ambitious as a company again. Amazing. I mean, uh, people are probably not listening to me right now because they're rewinding the last five minutes. So many lessons that you just packed in. I want to try to recap them and at least bullet point them because um, there's gold and 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 what you just said. I love uh, the story of holding on to the recruiter for three months, uh, consistent with your company value that I read. It'd be great to work with, um, right? Uh, respect each other, right? I mean that that's an amazing gesture of like sort of doing the right thing um, as part of your story. The the sort of um, sticking to the plan, right? You had a business that was working. It hit some crisis, some things outside your control, and everybody's yelling, pivot, pivot, right? And you're like, no, no, no. You talked about it. You remain calm, stick to the plan, make the core stronger and, and emerge um, you know, from the, from the crisis. Um, loved kind of protecting the customer relationships, prioritizing them uh, over current cash. And, and you know, you talked about how it's sort of been a gradual recovery. That's something I talk about all the time. Downturns happen really, really fast. And we're seeing it today, you know, bank collapse, boom, downturn. Um, VCs, you know, not not as much capital available, boom, that happens really quickly. But but the recoveries are always gradual, right? They don't happen as fast. So things can go south really fast. It's how you deal with it. It sounds like some amazing sort of crisis leadership uh, during that time. So congrats on all of that. Thank you. An- another thing I'll add, if there's time, is is just to say that redefining success is really important. And it's the kind of thing I- I've heard this even from like athletes who got injured, where maybe they were like aiming for a national championship and then got injured and they kept their same level of dedication. But the goal was just like recover from the injury. I think it's similar. I think it's similar for a business where um I was always telling the team that it was like all about growth. So like pre-COVID in our all hands calls, for example, I was, I would even use these phrases of like, Hey, if you're not growing, you're dying. Or like, 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 like growth is our, is our fuel. If we don't have that, like nothing else matters. And it it was difficult because I, I believe that like, like, like I was always saying that because I believed it. But what I realized when the pandemic hit was, I mean, that's true if you're also spending a lot and and need the capital to survive but in these kind of downturns where 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 spending has to be severely reduced success also has to be redefined and the goal really can be like i don't know like muhammad ali ropadov of just like hey the goal of this round is to survive a future round isn't the goal is a knockout but like this round that is not the goal and and it's it's hard to get excited about that kind of goal. Like, like, like it's hard to motivate the team around like, Hey, 
the goal right now is just to retain as many customers as we can or like sell as much as is required to offset churn. But like the goal is not to grow this month. Um, but but I think it's important and it's important that people uh, rally behind those goals and just recognize that recognize that it can be OK. Another thing, by the way, that might be helpful for communication is like. At least for me, it was it was inspiring to realize that so many great companies have done layoffs in their history, like like pretty much, I mean, nearly every great tech company has at some point or other undergone layoffs, even though like we don't really think about that today. Yeah, what makes them great is time and time yeah. has its ups, ups and downs, right? So mm-hmm. um, shifting gears, uh, was one other topic area that I think people listening might be really interested in uh, um, through the Bevy story. And I remember this from the early days in Techstars when, when we first met, um, sort of like getting a hardware product off the ground. I mean, they say hardware's hard, you know, that whole thing. Um, you know, I, you guys did an amazing job of, of building something that um, appeared to just work well. It's, it's a complicated product. It's, it's not just software that can be shipped over the internet. It's got logistics. Talk about the early days, sort of getting the hardware and the physical product piece right Sure. There are a lot of things we did well in the beginning and then some things we didn't. And I'll try to share both for for the community. Um, One thing we did well was we were very deliberate about our, our launch cadence and our expansion. And we 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 honestly just wanted to do the put out the minimum number of pieces of hardware, like the minimum number of machines required to get to the next stage. So like to start, we did a, once we kind of established what we thought was our product market fit, which was internet connected beverage machines for offices, we built, I believe 12. And we were initially gonna build 20 and then we decided, oh, 12 is enough. Like what are we really gonna learn from from, uh, 20 that we won't learn from 12? and we put them all in offices just in Boston. That was in 2014. And they were like beta pilots just to get feedback. Um, in that time, we learned a lot of the common likes and dislikes, a lot of the common quality uh, errors, like basically break sources of breakdowns that, that, we, that we could then fix for the next version. Um, when we started professionally manufacturing in 2015, we refused to sell a single machine outside of Boston. And we even had at this point some investors who wanted machines for their office in California, companies that had multiple offices, uh, yeah, like, or Colorado. Um, we were one of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, c- companies that had multiple offices and wanted Bevy and more. And w- we maintained our discipline and basically said, we are only going to put machines in locations where our engineers can get to them because. If anything went wrong, we both wanted wanted to be able to show up and fix it to maintain the customer experience. But we also wanted our, our mechanical engineers and electrical engineers who designed the machines being close by so they could personally get their eyes on all the errors and like see what was going wrong and see and see what they needed to uh, fix. And then in 2016, we added two more markets. Uh, New York and San Francisco, and we didn't really start opening up the country. Um, which ultimately happened with us via distributors. We didn't really start opening up the country and working with distributors at at any kind of scale until 2017. And that slow and deliberate timeline, it really did restrict 
our growth. Like we, we for sure would have had higher revenue in 2015 and 2016 had we agreed to launch everywhere. But I think we would have had much lower customer retention and seen a, ultimately seen a lot less expansion and had less success because by, by rolling out in that phased approach, we were able to see all of the, we were able basically to control quality and like see all of the things that went wrong, make sure our engineers had time to address them and then move on to the next phase. And that, um, that kind of approach, it's even important now, even when we do product launches now, we, we do tend to go more, more nationwide, like with our, like we launched a second generation of our standup machine early last year. And even though we launched that nationwide, we still did quick phases of like Boston first for a few months, then, um, then other direct markets where our own teams were the ones managing them, and then finally distributors. And and we also set up a pretty formal process, which is still running today, to like anytime there's any kind of breakdown, make sure that feedback quickly goes back to the engineering team. Um, and, and, and that all comes, I think, from an early ethos of uh, of like, basically like making sure something works well before scaling it. Yeah, I feel like um, the great lessons around starting small and really being focused on quality. You guys also, I think, did a really good job of sort of looking at your systems, your process, your data early on, right, to, to actually take that and integrate it back into product development. So um, Bevy's an amazing story. Uh, congrats on everything you've created and congrats on, on changing the world. I mean, you're still scaling. You, you still will have more impact you know, these numbers will, will continue to grow. And it's a company that um, I, I'm personally proud to be an investor in because of the change it's affecting in the world, but also just a great product and a great story. So congrats, Sean. Uh, thanks for being on the show with us today. Thank you so much, David. And thanks for being a supporter for almost a decade now. You make it easy. Thanks a lot for listening to the show today. We'd love to hear your feedback, ideas, or who you'd like to hear next on Give First. And please leave a rating and review, ideally a good one, and reach out anytime to podcasts at techstars.com or on Twitter, I'm at David Cohen. See you next time. Don't forget, Give First. First.